Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to Hearsay podcast number 78. I hope you've all had a lovely festive season and you are settling in to 2022. My guest for this podcast is the very brilliant Stu McKenzie from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. We spoke just before Christmas and just before King Giz were coming to Brisbane to play a five set residency of different genres at the Princess Theatre. I got to go to the microtonal one, which was so great. Um, but unfortunately, somebody tested positive for COVID after attending a couple of these residency shows. One of them was actually the show that I went to, Eep, um, and they had to cancel the last one, the heavy metal one, uh, which I'm sure was a major bummer for the band, but at least they got to come and play a few shows, which is more than a lot of people are getting to do at the moment. Um, I know I don't have to tell you to go and see them, but if you haven't yet, do. They're amazing. Stu's very funny and very gross, you've been warned, story was illustrated by my friend Alex Smith. Alex is an incredible director and has done music videos for people like Iggy Pop and Peaches, Kylie Minogue and The Darkness amongst many others. He's very, very clever and I love this picture he did. Uh, You can follow him on Insta at AlexOSM. As always, you can see all illustrations for the guest stories on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Fraser. Here is episode number 78 with Stu McKenzie. day um day good good day, day good um I've actually just been sort of um studioing today which that's has cool been nice we're, we're actually um coming to Brisbane next week so ah. I had to get a COVID I had to get a COVID test today right to do the the, um, the border cross sort of situation so that and then do you have to keep getting them to play we have to get one on day five and we're doing five nights so I guess it's like the last day or whatever will you have to isolate between shows and stuff I don't think so I I'm pretty sure yeah I'm pretty sure you just get a test here you get a negative you get a negative result get on the plane you're good and then you have to get one on day five but you don't have to isolate or anything unless you have symptoms so yeah I just I was just talking to my friend probably mutual friends of ours who play in Paul Kelly's band and um they were saying they can't really like have anyone backstage after a show and they can't party or see their family or friends or anything afterwards. So it's kind of a, a bubble. Bummer. Yeah. We're all living, we're all living in, in bubbles on tour, I suppose. We, so we haven't, weird. we haven't really done that yet. Um, but we've got a lot of shows kind of like overseas next year. So I think we're going to be in some form of like version of, of some kind of bubble, depending on where we're at. That's right. And you just don't, you can't predict it. So our borders are opening tomorrow officially in Queensland and we've had no cases for so long until like now. Yeah. Um, I just have this like impending feeling. It's like all going to be really shit soon. You've got an Im- impending set of um, infected Melbourneers coming. Just you guys, just you guys infecting just everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, Tell me about your shows. You've been doing like a bunch of different types of shows, like acoustic and 
your microtonal and and your heavy ones what tell me more about it well well the thing about that is we um we planned uh to do this kind of like five night mini residency thing where we would play um five nights in a row in different cities and we wouldn't repeat any songs in brisbane i think it's 75 songs it's really hard it's like it's like honestly one of the hardest it's like honestly one of the hardest things we've ever done i'm pretty sure and it and it made a lot of sense when we kind of put this plan together that we would tour it so we would you know do melbourne sydney brisbane adelaide perth we had one in tassie lined up and all of them were um first postponed or cancelled or never actually announced because of um covid and the only one that's actually come off is brisbane so it's it's just happening in brisbane that's all (laughs) i mean do you but do you think you'll push for the other one still and try and reschedule or well they 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 were all um publicly rescheduled a couple of times a couple of them were actually just quietly rescheduled before they were even actually announced a couple of times to the point where i guess maybe as a band we just started to think yeah, we're sort of ready for the next thing now. That's yeah. the idea maybe passed. So, so yeah, it's it's really is just going to be Brisbane. Tell me about what each night is. I mean, this is going to go out after that, but still, I'm interested That's in cool. real time. Yeah. So, um, so speaking to you from the past. Um, yeah. We, we, also, uh, happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's so good to be in the future. First one is acoustic. Um, and that's yeah not something that we've really ever done so um we did a sort of bit of a warm-up kind of one in in melbourne the other night um and we all actually just like sat down and played super quietly and yeah after being in a band that's kind of revolves around noise and just being loud and and i guess purposefully almost you can't hear anything you know it's it was quite um uh, frightening but liberating to play a show where you can hear everything yeah um, and you know have no kind of like distortion or like effects or anything on your guitar and you just you just play um, did so you get super nervous I was more nervous than than I should have been definitely I was yeah. I was really nervous I was I was really nervous that I deliberately um, parked my car really really far away from the venue like an hour <laughs> away and then I and an then hour I walked, yeah, and then I walked there because <laughs> I just needed something to do. <laughs> oh, that's nice. It was, it was really good though. <clears throat> I just needed like a solo power walk on like kind of a beautiful muggy Melbourne evening and just got like sweaty, you know, yeah. before the show. It was it was perfect. I, I've actually been known to do that little trick. But maybe I should try that. I get pretty nervous before shows. Mm. Actually, it reminds me, I did like a... Um, a tour of theatres supporting Sarah Blasco and those were the scariest shows I've ever done because you could hear a pin drop and I'm used to playing in noisy bands too so I was just like this is fucked and also I was so scared of playing wrong notes when normally when there's a lot of noise you just don't notice it but but when you're playing in that environment it's so scary. Sarah must have a respectful crowd our crowd just still just like yell stuff at us constantly oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like not we definitely didn't do the pin drop hear the pin drop acoustic yeah, set right. every word thing it was <laughs> it was fairly rowdy still but it was it was really nice yeah I want to do it more you should what instruments were you all playing just like acoustic guitars or what were you playing yeah we did 
um, Joey and Cookie were, were doing the steel string acoustics. I played nylon string. Um, Ambrose played mostly piano, but a little bit of sax and harmonica. I played a little oh. bit of flute. Um, Lucas cheated on his electric bass. And yeah, Cavs just smashing tubs as always. That's That sounds really cool. I hope you get to do more of those. It was lovely. Um, yeah, maybe maybe it's just because we're all like 30 now and we just kind of play adult contemporary like like, you know acoustic versions of rock songs now (laughs) yeah you're gonna start like competing with josh pike in the adult contemporary category yeah exactly (laughs) um and then what's the second show our second show is we're calling it jams um so what that really means is that we actually just don't put very many songs on the set list and we just have a timer in front of us and we try and get to the end of the set without (laughs) it just means everything just gets jammed how long's the set we'll probably um let me see it's well this the set's 90 minutes maybe it'll be like more like 100 or something yeah let me see how many songs i put on the set list i think i only put like 10. but some of your songs are really long yeah but they're kind of not jammy they're they're like a lot of the long ones for us are kind of the proggy sort of quiet structured kind of tracks there's one two three four five six seven eight nine songs so yeah that'll, that'll be fun yeah that maybe like will be the funnest actually for us because it's, it's the most sort of just self-indulgent one <laughs> yeah just loose yeah no pressure yeah exactly um that'll be that'll be fun and then we do um a microtonal set which just kind of like incorporates just the other sort of like microtonally flavored records and, and songs that we've, that we've done. We toured that type of set quite a bit. Well, as much as you can in the COVID world yeah. earlier, this, earlier this year. Um, and then we do a garage rock set, which is like got a lot of old songs on it, um, which yeah, is just really, really fun. Actually, that'll be kind of like um, teenager vibe. Great. And um, and then we do the heavy metal set. Great. End on a high. End on a bang. End on the one that, like, it doesn't matter if your vocal cords are torn up yeah. after five nights once. <laughs> <Totally. laughs> yeah. yeah. End on the one where you don't have to talk after. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that sounds so fun. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be really fun. I know you said it's the hardest thing you've ever had to do, but it sounds like a cool challenge. Well, we haven't done it yet, so I don't know if it's because we haven't played much lately um maybe like starting at a bit of a low base in terms of like rehearsals and how many songs are stuck in the brain but yeah trying to kind of like cram that many songs in to your head is is pretty hard it's hectic yeah it's hectic it's like a different there must be different but like there must be different sort of like levels of memory or something I don't know I reckon a lot of it ends up being muscle memory like mm. songs that, especially for songs that you've just written or songs that you've just put out, those last few albums surely will still be in there somehow in your body. And then the old ones, yeah, you just got to relearn. I find it really difficult to relearn songs that I haven't played in years and years. Yeah, um, I know. It's You're like, what was I doing? <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> I know. And and like, yeah, you we, I, we've been doing rehearsals and we like get there. And then we play a song we just think we just have so in the pocket that maybe we haven't played for a few years or something, but you know, it's a song we would have played like over a hundred times live or something. And then we were all just like, all right, one, two, three, four. Oh, oh, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> I, I, 
I don't even I can't remember what, what the first note is. Like I can't remember anything about the song. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I remember in like in Regurgitator, they'd have to um, sometimes Google their own lyrics because they oh, were yeah, like, yeah. "What was that again?" I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, we're we're sad, sadly there's a lot of lyric print-offs over this Brizzy residency. Oh yeah, are you yeah. gonna like hide them or are you gonna have them like obviously in front of you? It's not gonna be a music stand or anything. Like I, I, I think they they could be taped to the the um monitors maybe, maybe like maybe like three or four songs per set. Oh, that's not so bad. You think that's alright? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Alright, that's fine. It's not like you're like Brian Wilson with a you know teleprompter. Yeah, you don't need to have everything. Three's alright. I guess like my memory is maybe getting worse or my songs are getting harder or something or maybe we're just playing 75 songs in a row we didn't used to do that but like yeah I write like little codes on my arms and stuff it'll just oh. be the first the first line of a verse or something yeah you end up with like weird tattoos yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like what does that mean yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you can't decipher your own code yeah yeah <laughs> but hey I'd really um I'd love to talk to you a little bit about little stew and mm. um, if you ever had a moment where you really thought this is what I want to do with my life when you heard another band play or um, did you did you ever have that like light bulb moment or did you just sort of fall into it? Yeah, I, I feel like um, so I've been asked this question before in various ways and I feel like I answer it differently every single time. Um, That's good. I'm sorry for asking you questions you've already answered a thousand times. But no, like. not at all. no, not at all. It's actually really a good exercise in self-reflection as well. Um, and like gratitude for actually like doing what I want to do in, in life. Because I'm just like in my studio today making music. I feel really lucky. It's great. Um, little Stew, um, <laughs> I, I was really um, interested in music but also kind of like drawing and movies. And I think I was just always like interested in that version of humanity where you feel like you're being creative, but also kind of constructive. I think I kind of liked gardens and like architecture and, and stuff. And I, and I, and I think as I've gotten older, I've recognized that's kind of the way I approach music a little bit. But anyway, yeah, Little Stew, I was kind of, I was kind of just drawn to drums. That was the first kind of like musical uh, instrument that I was interested in. And I think it was just because it was like loud and, and obnoxious and like silly and fun and primal and not kind of like, it didn't feel like I had to be articulate. It didn't feel like I had to be like musically expressive or persuasive it's just that was the kind of thing that I I was I was interested in yeah did you have drummer heroes no I at this point no like I didn't I don't think I really I didn't I didn't like think of music that way really at that mm. point music was like an abstract sort of concept I think um but yeah I don't know my parents always talk about I put on little concerts so I was like one of that I was like that little kid like I would make a little puppet show and like it's, I don't know I just yeah like that little cute kid who just wanted to sort of like entertain other people um 
But anyways, yeah, I guess as I got a little older, because um, my, my dad played guitar. He, uh, he learnt to play guitar when he had me and my little brother and he had heard that kids would sleep if you played them music. So he would, oh. yeah, I think we didn't sleep. So like, <laughs> <laughs> so he would like play us guitar to make us sleep and he would, he, he was learning as well, which I didn't know at the time, but I kind of thought was quite like beautiful in hindsight. Yeah, that's so lovely. Um, and he would play usually um, Australian, like roots country to and then to Mer- Americana, um, stuff that sounds good on like solo guitar kind of music. Like nylon string or, or steel string? It was steel string. It was like, it was like a lot of Paul Kelly. It was a lot of Neil Young. It was like Bob Dylan songs. It was kind of that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's sort of like ingrained in my brain, this way of like our music sort of being maybe becoming more tangible, like, like less of an abstract concept that you just hear coming out of speakers. It's like, oh, there's an instrument. Like you have to learn it. You have to pick it up. You have to play it. You like interact with this thing. It makes you feel good. It makes the player feel good. It makes other people kind of feel good I think like that was quite sort of inspiring and but yeah still I still like maybe I don't know like as as a teen I wasn't a musician really yet I just um I just kind of like was a fan and I was like a big music (laughs) fan and got into um a lot of like 60s and 70s like rock music the stuff that everybody likes still um really before I even picked up a guitar. And stuff that's relatable that makes you feel like you could do it. Is, yeah. Do you think that's why you liked it? Um, I, I really liked, um, I really liked a lot of kind of like sixties garage rock because it yeah. felt, it felt um, amateur, which is just like inspiring. To, it's yeah. inspiring to an amateur. <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. I still, I still really like that. Um, ethos yeah me too but yeah I I guess it wasn't until a few of my um close friends started playing in bands and getting into the pub underage and like I don't know just like doing that type of thing that I was like oh fuck okay I should like kind of join in this is this this sounds like it's my thing like it it was it was their thing before it was my thing you know I was like oh that looks cool um I want to drink underage. Yeah, I like, yeah. <laughs> I want to play guitar. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, I'm not like a sport guy. Like, I don't know. I just want to, it's like in growing up in like Victoria and probably all of Australia, you sort of just like play sport or you like do something that's weird. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like music is classed in the weird category. But, anyways, yeah, I just like wanted to just be in a band. And so I was just like, fuck, okay, now I gotta catch up and like do hips practice. And then and then I kind of just got quite OCD obsessive about it. I um sorry if this is an extraordinarily long-winded answer. No, I love it. I love it. I am um, <laughs> I still idiotically um played football at this point. Like maybe it's I'm 15 or something, it was when I picked up the guitar. I'd already broken two fingers. They're still completely busted. My both of my oh, little no. pinkies, one of them doesn't. I don't mean to say that when I'm done actually bend. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's a little bit annoying. Um, but anyways, and then I, I had a um a knee injury playing playing football and I had to get a full knee reconstruction. Shit. 
yeah it was it was like pretty annoying but the best thing about it was i i was out of school for like i don't know six weeks or something and i just played guitar i was like oh this is my new thing like this is kind of this serendipitous moment and i literally all i did was i just played guitar for like 12 hours of the day and then by the time i kind of got out of this little stint well i was kind of good enough to jam with my friends and what were you playing like were you doing scales or what were you doing i was like learning songs i would i was like yeah i was like going through like um like nuggets compilations and stuff oh yeah and learning songs or i I know i was also learning like acdc and nirvana and stuff and yeah kind of like that's sort of when it just felt like it was my calling. Like that was, that was my moment. You know, that was, that was like, it felt like a turning point in, in life where I like added a little feather to my bow and that's um, great. yeah, ready to fly. <laughs> and then when did you start playing in bands? Did you, did you start like a sixties garage rock band straight away? Yeah. I, I played in, um I played in three simultaneous, like, 60s garage rock related bands one of them was with fraser actually we were called revolver and sun i don't know if he ever talked about them no we should say our mutual friend fraser gorman our mutual friend fraser gorman um we've played we played in a band together called revolver and sun also with um cookie from king gears because we, we the three of us went to school together yeah and another excellent drummer monty hartnett who has played in a plethora of melbourne bands yeah so we 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 had, I had that, I had another band called Al Mac and Jack with two friends from Anglesey, which is where I grew up. And then another band called The Houses, which Lucas was part of. Um, and that's how I met Lucas kind of through that. And then later on, Cavs from King Gears joined The Houses and that's sort of how that kind of connection opened up. Um, but um, anyways, we were, we were all somewhat 60s vibe, just to different little spectrums, like yeah. Revolver and Sun was more the small faces, maybe. Uh, Mac and Jack was more like, I don't know, maybe Hendrix, but I want to say maybe a bit more psychedelic. And then The Houses was a bit more sort of like melodic pop like oriented. That's like a good cross section of the 60s. It was a good, like, good, good time, actually. We spent a lot of time um, at the pub, uh, but we also spent a lot of time like practicing and, and like having a lot of fun making music it just felt really, really natural and really right. That's what it's all about. Yeah. When you started King Gears, did you immediately feel like these are my people and this is a longevity kind of project? In no way was it that. It was the opposite (laughs) of that. It was, it was actually, um, everybody's side project at the time, everybody's side project. And I guess we were still young, like when Gears started, I mean, I was probably 20. Yeah, I guess Ambrose is the youngest. He, yeah, he was, I think he was still in school. He was still in year 12. Yeah, I think he told me he was still in school. Yeah, I think he was still in school. And Joe's the oldest. He's a couple of years older than me. But we were still like around that that age. But I'd been playing at the pub since I was 16. So like, I felt like I've been doing it for ages, even though I hadn't. Like That's still ages when you're young. It's, it's ages when you're young. Um, and, and I guess we started to feel like... Um, things were maybe getting a little serious and we needed a band that was just like super silly. Um, so the original idea behind Gizzard was we wrote songs which were simple enough that anyone could join um, with and, and no one ever had to rehearse under any circumstances. 
So there was usually like one or two chords and like one or two words. And like, right. that was pretty much it. <laughs> and we played, a, we played a lot of shows like that. And that, it, was, it was really fun. Um, and the lineup was very dynamic. There, there was, yeah, it was just anyone could play. And, and sometimes we'd play three piece shows and sometimes we'd play like 12 piece shows. And then what happened? You started getting more serious about stuff. Well, I guess we, once we decided to start doing some recordings, um, which wasn't for at least a year or two of kind of like shows and jamming that we realized that maybe there was kind of like a bit of, um, I guess like a bit of chemistry within kind of like the members or maybe it was just because we'd been playing together and like jamming mm. and like doing these pretty improv related like inspired kind of shows that we just kind of like learned to play together yeah um, yeah and we just started to feel really stoked about the recordings and it was it was really that it was it was like okay well we should like make an album or something or make an ep and then i don't know like just keep on doing weird shows and like the first couple of eps by our standards were like very structured and considered and thought out but they were still extraordinarily simple songs but yeah like i don't know for whatever reason people seem to like the recordings and they were, people were listening to them or like um, streaming them. Or, what were you doing in 2011? I can't remember. Buying it on iTunes. Like yeah. I what was happening then? I can't remember. I was going to say Napster, but that was probably yeah, yeah. naive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we just started to just get gigs and that it was sort of just, it just accidentally became a thing. Became not a, not such a side project. Yeah. Well, it, it sort of first became kind of like my sort of like main vehicle and then I guess over time it, it sort of became everyone's main vehicle over the course of many years well also like when something's getting attention you kind of have to give it your attention to I think it was kind of like that and it's not like we we're getting very much attention it was just like I don't know people seem to like maybe gravitate towards something about it whatever mm. it was people were like okay I, I like that and we're like really that's weird <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I definitely remember a time, yeah, like probably just a little bit after that where people, like my friends were starting to talk about King Giz and um, it was way it was way before like you had recorded heaps of albums and started getting into like, you know, all the, the, the genre bending stuff that you guys ended up doing. But like, yeah, there was definitely like a vibe, even amongst just like my friendship group in, in Melbourne. It was definitely a thing. Oh, that's very nice to hear. You must have made an impression straight away. Like our shows in those early days were honestly like we were just, and I know Regurgitator were like this as well and to a certain degree, like we were just trying to freak people out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're just, we're trying to freak people out. Like it was like, I don't know, let's do the most ridiculous thing possible and like whatever, because it was a really, it was a really good time. Um, it's still a good time. Like I still really love playing in the band, but it is, it's in no way like that anymore. Uh, I'm actually really grateful for that. It's kind of evolved and changed a lot over the years and I hope it continues to keep changing. I'm sure it will. I mean, the, yeah, you've changed so much and think about how much you've learned like in the last 10 years and how much you're going to learn in the next 10. That's totally. really exciting. Totally. Um, I really want to talk to you about songwriting, like just from a, a starting perspective now. Do you always think about time signature when you start or does it sort of happen when you jam out a riff or something? Um, I, I guess the short answer is no. 
but the long answer is sometimes. Yeah. My songwriting process, I need to have structure. Like I can't just, I can't just pick up a guitar and be like, oh, I'm going to write a song now. It's like, well, okay, I have to like, before I pick up a guitar, I have to say, I'm going to write a song um, in like B, like maybe it's going to be in like Dorian or something. And it's going to be like, I have to set myself kind of like some rules, some parameters, some parameters. And then I can like play because I find songwriting to be the most fun and also the most um, overwhelming like thing that you could ever do. Yeah. Because they're just like, in every step of the way, there is an infinite amount of options and possibilities, like every word and every chord change or every note, like there's just an infinite choice. So yeah, for me, I have to kind of like approach it like it's architecture of sound or what that's the kind of like dorky way to put it. No, that's a cool way of putting it. Well, it's, it's, that's why all of our projects are so different as well, because we kind of like put a ring around it before we start. Yeah. And it's the, it's the only way I can sort of like move, move forward. Yeah, I can relate to it because sometimes I find myself like, especially when I'm composing on my laptop and I'm just like using battery or whatever to like program beats, I can so easily spend 20 minutes listening to like a snare sound and then you catch yourself and you're like, fuck, that was 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so much easier when you set yourself some rules or parameters to work inside of. So, yeah, but so do you always do that? Always. What's the last set of rules you set yourself? Um, well, yeah, like I could probably talk about them with like every every record that we've made. Um, with Butterfly, the latest one, um, that had quite a few parameters, actually. We wanted everything to be major key. And that was because there isn't many major key songs, really. At yeah. least, you know, there was early on. Our music got like darker and moodier. And that felt like a challenge. Everything's major key. Um, there's heaps of like polymetric stuff. Every song has like multiple time signatures layered on top of itself. We, but we wanted it to feel like that, but also feel like you could move your body to it. Um, we didn't want it to feel like free jazz. It was like polymetric, but like dance floor. Yeah. Because that's not something you hear very often. You nailed that. Oh, thank you. And then it was sort of like built around synths as well. And that felt like an, a, enough of a starting point. Do you play to click? On that record we did. We had to because the um, every song is built around like a sequence. Um, and that was also pretty new. Like we've, we've never played to click live because that just sounds hard. And yeah. a lot of the songs are, have too much like improvisation to to do that but we have recorded to i don't know maybe like a third of our songs on record it's click maybe i'm not i'm kind of not opposed to it it definitely makes editing a lot easier sure does when everything's on the grid yeah when you play to click when you have like a thousand different time signatures in a row uh -huh. you have to then program like this one's in five eight this many bars and then is that what you do uh, so yeah, we, we had the, that, we had this, this issue heaps actually with this record because I would be convinced that like a section is like some, it's like 17 or something because that's what the synth is doing. Yeah. But, but Cavs is in like, Cavs is in like seven or something. Right. And 
seven and 17 don't actually meet at the end. So the vocals are kind of like singing in, in a meter, which doesn't actually link with the drums. And maybe there's just a few little beats at the end that sort of make everything link or whatever. But um, we re recorded all of it in Ableton and the, the Ableton time signature is just like, I, I think we ended up just calling it 4-4. Four four. Yeah. It's not, but like at least your lines are right. You, 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 your ones are all out of sync. Are you recording in sections then? With that record, the drums were overdubbed, which is not typical of Giz, but it's just because the songs were built around the synth sequences. Um, so the drums were overdubbed on top of kind of some synths and usually some like rough vocals. Yeah. And then the, they, they were pretty heavily chopped up, you know, like the classic thing, oh, the verse needs to go twice as long. Like I accidentally wrote way too many words. <laughs> or like there's a instrumental part like here now and you just go, yeah, you know, that's how I do pretty much all of my songwriting. I don't remember the last time that I sat down and, and played a song from beginning to end on an instrument. I just like record it and write it as I record it in parts. If you had have said that to me a few years, maybe three or four years ago, I, I really wouldn't have related to that. But I've become more like that. I, I spend two, three times as much time on my laptop than I do on, on my guitar or piano or anything. Yeah. Like my laptop is actually my main instrument. Yeah, me too. But I'm sure for I'm sure for you even even more. Yeah, laptop and and then any synthesizer. Was it any hardware or was it all like laptop synths? It was actually almost all hardware. What kind of stuff were you using? So the main one, and this isn't this isn't super like cool or dorky, but just one of those um, newer Moog grandmothers. Oh, they're great. They're so good. They're so good. Um, that's that's like the kind of like tone we were using we used on quite a lot of songs in the record and, and it does really poke out. It's like the song Shanghai and the song Dreams are like built around a patch, which is basically the same as each other on the, on the grandmother. Beautiful patch though. And the, and it's a cool synth because it's sort of semi-modular. You can still like plug totally. the um, sections into each other. Totally. And yeah, there's uh, quite a lot of um, Juno, which was, which was the first cool synth I ever bought. Which one? Uh, 60. I actually think that, you know, that one time that I came to your um, studio or someone's house or wherever you were. Yeah, yeah. That was our old studio. There was a Juno 60 there that I played. Cool. That's the when one. When everyone was jamming. That's yours. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. we Maybe we bought that. Well, I remember when we bought it, actually. We bought it when we were making Float Along, Fill Your Lungs, because at the time we considered that our sort of like Cynthia sort of, we were, that, was our, that was our first like psychedelic record. Yeah. But we needed something kind of for that. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe still my favorite synthesizer. I don't, I don't play it as much as I should actually. That was one of the first synths I got too. And I played it in all my bands for so long until I played one show that I shouldn't have been playing. I play, I supported Goldfrap. It was oh, like wow. one of the, yeah. it was maybe my fifth ever solo show. And I got this band together and, um, my Juno like absolutely shat itself in front of 2000 people oh, no. and I didn't have, I couldn't do anything. It was awful. <laughs> oh shit. But that's actually the reason, kind of the reason why I started this podcast. Cause after that I was crying. It's like one of the only times I've ever like walked off stage and cried. And, um, Quan was at the show and so was Dan Kelly and, they were like, oh, mate, like, <laughs> that was so <laughs> brutal. And they both took me out for a hot chocolate. And 
they told me all of their worst show stories. Oh, yeah. And we laughed so much. And I was like, I want to collect these. I mean, not necessarily worst, but just like everyone has a story that's like fucked up or weird or, you know, it's like when you're a musician, that stuff just happens. Sure. Yeah, sure does. It's it's a very strange like thing to do. Yeah. With your with your life and you sort of you act you do put yourself out there a lot. Yeah. You put yourself in situations where like if something goes wrong, it goes really super wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super, and super regularly as well. Super regularly. <laughs> like you put yourself out there super regularly. Are you um touring with loads of instruments then? Like if you're doing synthy songs and microtonal songs and stuff? We didn't we didn't add like a uh, synth night to this kind of five night thing. So there's actually not a lot of synthesizers, just the normal amount of just keys and, and stuff. The acoustic show has a piano, which is pretty fun. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're touring with a lot of stuff. I take like three electrics and an acoustic for these shows. Wow. So that's pretty, pretty over the top. But that is a lot. One of the electrics is microtonal. So it's, you can't, can't really replace that. And the other two electrics are in, um, different tunings one's in standard and one's like in c sharp standard right and they're like two different the two it's too like gnarly to tune on stage the tuning is too far away yeah and the acoustics the acoustics so you kind of yeah you gotta do it you gotta you gotta do it well if you want to do a synth night at my house you're more than yeah welcome. there we go <laughs> <laughs> um i was reading an interview with you where you were saying that um, you you have to always create, otherwise you get grumpy. <laughs> Has that continued on like through you becoming a dad and, you know, you getting busy? That happened to me today. Really? <laughs> that happened to me today. <laughs> well, I went to Mooney, I went to fucking Mooney Valley racetrack to get a COVID test and I sat Ugh. in the car for two, I sat in a hot car for two hours. Sorry. At this point, you can't really complain about COVID, can you? Like, no, no one can complain can, about COVID. You still can. That's fine. No, I'm sick of I'm sick of doing it all the time. I never <laughs> stop. Um, yeah, I'm I'm getting a little bit better at sort of just um, managing that. I'm, I'm not like that grumpy of a person or anything. I just like to make <laughs> I just like to make stuff. I think that's good. I think it's um that the compulsion is important sometimes in your creative process. I think if I wasn't like addicted to this i'd be addicted to like gambling or something like or like i'd be addicted i'd be addicted to something for sure yeah like it's just it's really tapped into my kind of like personality and i just i feel like i'm just using this as an outlet to um do something pause yeah have you always had an addictive personality definitely like yeah i i get very like I get very fixated on things and then I find it very hard to kind of um, like see the forest from the trees. But, um, but yeah, I think once I started kind of like focusing that energy on, in, on music, it, it felt like, okay, like the rest of my life wasn't in, in any form of too chaotic mode. Um, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I, I wonder whether like I am going to just do this forever and, that's just going to be my thing or maybe one day I'll do something else. Yeah, you'll get obsessed with the next thing. Yeah, like maybe I'll get obsessed with like sleeping or like TV <laughs> or something. <laughs> Imagine if you're obsessed with sleeping. That'd be such a peaceful yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't come tonight. I'm, I've got to go to sleep. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, do you ever get paralyzed by choice when you're starting a song? Like, I know you said you put parameters on things, but even within parameters, if you're saying you want to play in a major key, you've still got so many keys to pick from. Does that stuff stress you out? Yeah, I think I'm like hyper aware of that phenomenon. Yeah. You know, that phenomenon and also the phenomenon of like having already made and like released quite a lot of music and comparing even like myself to stuff that I've done before or you know those two things those two factors like stifle people but does that mean you think about your audience as well uh it means that I'm like hyper aware of trying to not worry about that yeah um which means that I am inherently worried about it all the time but (laughs) but um yeah, I, I think like we were, we were kind of saying before the doing this type of thing for a job sort of um, inherently means putting yourself out there a lot. And you've just got to find your way of, um, you know, like being at peace with that. I think the the choice thing, right? So I'll be, I'll be like writing something and if it's not working, it's almost like I'm embarrassed with myself. Yeah. I'm sure you felt that feeling. It's like, it's pretty similar to if you do a bung note on stage Yeah. because, but you're, you, you can be with only yourself and you're still a little bit shattered that your song isn't kind of turning out the way you went. And I think it's because, because you put the same expectation on yourself as you, as you do, you know, when you're on, on stage. Of course. And then you also have to, forgive yourself and do self-talk when you're like oh that was really shit but I reckon the next thing might be better or... yeah totally totally or you or you've just got to kind of like fight whatever you have whatever you have to do to sort of just push through like my my kind of ethos with writing is all all the stuff I was kind of talking about about putting parameters around blah blah but that can be counterproductive too, because then you spend all your time just talking about doing stuff and you don't actually do anything. Yeah. So you have to kind of like couple that with, with like the um, motto of just putting pen to paper. Like if you just, if you sometimes you just got to put pen to paper, like, and it's just going to be shit. Sometimes yeah. like 10 things in a row you do are shit, but like you've got to work your way through those 10 things to find like the 11th one, which is like really cool. Yeah, totally. And if, you don't, if you don't actually do it, you'll still be stuck on number one. You know, so I don't think people realize how much editing is involved, like self editing, and how even like a band that is as prolific as you guys probably has like twice as many songs that are probably like the ones that you feel embarrassed about, you know, <laughs> the the ones that you have to go no next. <laughs> I just put together a I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this. I think it's fine to say. I just put together like a four album long collection of demos oh wow but like we, we released like two like a like a i guess it's like i don't know how many songs it is it's like the length of two albums um last year and then yeah i just kind of like pl- went through all these old demos and ideas and some are close to being finished songs some are like just really like a drum machine and like a keyboard line or something um it felt like really liberating to kind of go through everything and, and purge and also come back to some of the, uh, these ideas and just think, oh, that's actually all right. Like that's not going on the demos album. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, it's, it's like with everyone, as, as you know as well, like there's a lot of. Um, a lot of whoopsies. A lot of whoopsies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Good way to put it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really interested to talk to you about the microtonal thing. Um, and I know you've talked about this a lot, but I love the thought that there is there are more notes than than the ear really can cope with. So I was wondering if you'd ever had anyone say to you, like anyone with perfect pitch that was like, what are you doing to me? There's too many notes. Well, um, the thing with people with perfect pitch and the type of microtonal stuff that we do is that they're cool with it because we're doing this kind of like 24 tet thing, which basically just means there's a note exactly in between every normal Western note. Oh, that's like quarter tones or something. We're doing quarter tones. Yeah. So that's where all, all the gizzard microtonal stuff is kind of based around quarter tones. And, and that's just, that's just like one fairly rudimentary way to approach microtonality, but people with perfect pitch are kind of like, well, it's all right. You got all my normal notes. You've just got some extra ones. I, I did a, um, a sort of like collaborative performance thing with, um, Carolyn Schofield, who's just like an amazing Melbourne musician. She's, she has perfect pitch. She was tuning the, tuning the timpanis when we were warming up, which was really impressive to me because I don't know, they, they have a note, but it's just yeah. like, fuck, how do it, anyway. Um, <laughs> but I was asking her about it and I, I, I couldn't communicate with her, like how she was feeling about the microtonal notes. Like it was like, we're speaking a different language because I don't have perfect pitch. And I think about things in like a certain way. And we just had this really like we just would, it was like I was speaking German, she was speaking French, like we just were speaking different language. So mm. it's fascinating how everyone hears music differently. It really is. Because they really do. Because really, people really, really do hear music differently. Like it's not just, oh, like I like heavy metal or like I like jazz or whatever. Like you literally hear it differently. Like it's processed in your brain differently. Definitely. Depending on like where, where you were brought up and, and if you even certain like, cultures and people who have learned a certain language from birth are more likely to have perfect pitch things mm. like that like it's it's wild a friend of mine said to me the other day because i've just finished recording an album and he was like congrats thanks um it's taken me so long <laughs> yeah. but um he was saying to me like oh your your songs sound really german and i think what he meant was like that german mentality of um, of melody is so different to other cultures and you know like maybe that schlager german folk song um, had really seeped into my brain and made me sort of pull those notes out in a different form i thought that was mm. really interesting i'm sure everyone has that like all that country music your dad played you has seeped into your subconscious i think so i i also heard uh a thing someone talking about recently that um the language um that you your native tongue language that you speak influences the music that you make too because all languages have like a different natural sort of cadence or the rhythm of this the speaking voice i don't know I, i think that's like fascinating it is fascinating i love that stuff did you study this stuff at school like did you went to uni to study music didn't you yeah i did I did the kind of like pretendy music course called oh. music industry, which is just like what you do when you just want to be in a band, but you you don't want to like get a job and you also yeah. don't really want to like 
work too hard at school you just want to play music <laughs> yeah fair enough but you um, obviously like learned how to record and mix yeah I didn't I didn't do like I didn't go to like engineering school or anything I just sort of like picked it up as I went along it became my favorite thing actually over time a big part of the reason why Giz has made a lot of records is because like and, and written a lot of songs is because it, it means you get to record a lot like it's it's really cool and really fun yeah um and Sometimes you just want to write a song so you can record it. Like that's that's true. Because that's the cool bit. How did you learn how to mix? Because you mix all the King Giz records, right? Or most of? Uh, yeah, I'd say like over time it's become most of. In the early days, it was just a song here or there that like I wanted to be a specific way. And usually if I wanted something to sound really bizarre, I would just do it myself. Yeah. But if I wanted something to sound like, good I wouldn't do it because I just didn't know really, really know how to make things sound good yeah I don't know I just like have done it a lot and I still don't really know like what you're meant to do but mm. I sort of and even like I've, I have mixed quite a few records for other bands and stuff and I've and I've always felt like I know how to mix Gizzard well and I, I and I know how to record Cavs like as, as a drummer like I know how he plays like I know where to put the mics you know what I mean and if he's depending on the kind of like vibe he has or how hard he's hitting the drums really like I, I kind of know how to work him but I've, I've always felt like every time I've mixed another record for another band I've just felt like really out of my depth because I just know how to do gizzard you know like that's all yeah but that's all you really yeah. need that's yeah, good like, <laughs> yeah hey um I want to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everyone. Mm. Can you tell me what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier and like, um, it's not a show thing. That's fine. It's um, Ambrose told the story about Bill Clinton walking past <laughs> the venue. That was, that was definitely strange and unexpected. <laughs> um, no, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell a fairly strange one. I don't know if it's the strangest, but it's, it's, it's definitely strange. Okay. Um, we're on tour in, in Europe. We are doing the tour bus thing, the sleeper bus thing. Um, Hell. where like, yeah, it's hardcore. Like everyone sleeps in bunks over, uh, like while you drive, um, for like 10 hours or whatever down the hurling down the freeway, like a hundred kilometers an hour. Um, which is strange in itself, but you know, yeah. got to do what you got to do to make the rock show. Yeah. Um, we, we just played a show in London. I, I think it like was the biggest show we'd ever played or something. We kind of like, we're like, Ooh, let's party. Like, whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, bus call is in two hours. Oh, oh. shit. Okay. So we've got like a 2 a.m. bus call. And you're all stinky and drunk and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we just like, we're just really excited and yeah. we just like drank a lot of beer and, 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 and like, you know whatever um <laughs> anyway had a, had a lot to drink and i remember the the bus driver um saying as we we as we loaded in hmm the um the reservoir of um urine underneath the toilet that the bus is like holding is getting fairly full Ew. but um i think we're good like it's just we're just gonna we're just gonna pass through the channel tunnel tonight um we're driving um to uh a festival in the Netherlands that we're playing in the morning. Oh, sorry, not in the morning. The next day, we're gonna catch a ferry too. So anyway, we jump in the in the bus, bring a few slabs. Gets a little bit silly. Everyone's just drinking a lot, <laughs> pissing a lot. Yeah. Like we're we're getting pretty close to the 
to the reservoir. We're going under the channel tunnel. Everyone's just like, you know, we had no idea. I, I really. Anyway, yeah, it was good. It was a good little time. Everyone had drinks. Um, had had a funny time. Went to bed. Uh, woke up. Um, as we were sort of like boarding this ferry. It was, I think, probably about sunrise or something. I think it's it was a it's a ferry from mainland Netherlands to some island. I don't know where. It is. And you're boarding exactly. the ferry on the bus, like the bus is going on the ferry. We're on the bus. The bus is driving onto the ferry, and um, we were sort of all asked to get off the bus, but we're all tired and hungover, so we we all hid in our bunks, and which is maybe dangerous. Like, you know, if the ferry. Is going down. I think. Oh yeah. Probably, but Yikes. you're very, you're very dead. But, but anyway, we just did the silly thing, and um, the story goes, Cookie got up to do one last piss, and he um, he took a piss, and he heard like a crack and a bit of a <laughs> bit of a bang and a bit of an explosion. No. And and the reservoir, the piss tank. <laughs> Which like must be hundreds, like hundreds of liters, like it's fucking huge. Um, actually exploded. Oh my god! On the like the 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 deck of the ferry, and um, it instantly, it instantly stank insanely badly. <laughs> of course like it did. Like it smelled like um salami or like cured <laughs> meat or something like really visceral, really just really potent um awful awful stuff and then and then we're we're all woken up at this point because cookie was like yelling and <laughs> and also there was all these school children who were in the ferry and they were all screaming they were all screaming at the top of these top of their lungs poor little dutch kids and yeah we basically just like emptied a couple of days worth of piss all over the ferry oh. We were absolutely dressed down by the ferry driver. I bet. And we had to sort of pay some form of cleaning fee. To a manager's like, fucking hell, guys. Yeah, yeah what are Fuck. you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was it was definitely strange. That's that for is sure. hilarious. We had to get a new bus too, actually. We got, the we got piss a piss tank sort of, exploded. <laughs> I think the piss tank became like a portal, like straight to the road after that. <laughs> The toilet was a portal to the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they often say like you can't you can't do poops. You have to only no do wees. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really gross. <laughs> 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 Thank you for telling me that story. I love it. It took a, like a minute to process at the time. Yeah, I think we felt really ashamed of ourselves. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> Especially like hungover and tired, and then you're like, "Oh yeah. no, what have we done? We brought great oh. shame to our yeah. houses." <laughs> brought great shame to the Australian name. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it was so lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for yeah, making the well. time. Of course.